Good morning, everybody. Okay, so into this morning's lesson. So we're in the series of lessons called Reasons to Believe. We started off a few weeks ago. I was the one who kicked it off. And we talked about reasons to believe God. Over the last couple of weeks, Gary's been talking to us about reasons to believe the Bible. And this morning, we're going to talk about reasons to believe Jesus. Now, a few years ago, I uh, used my Facebook. I was doing some, some research for a lesson that I was putting together. And so I asked just a, a quick poll out on Facebook, what, who do you think Jesus is? That was my question. And I said, no answers are going to be, nobody's going to bash you. Just want to hear what you think. What kind of answers do you think I got? I got a variety of answers. Facebook is kind of wide open. I mean, that's the Wild West. You can get all kinds of stuff. Some of the opinions that people had on Jesus seemed to be less informed than others. A lot of what I heard were things about what they felt about Jesus. Things that, that probably they heard in sermons. Things that, that other people were saying about them. And most of them were positive. And I not want to, don't want to dismiss those kinds of answers about who Jesus is. But I wondered how many of those people who responded to Jesus, even favorably, had actually taken the time to check out what Jesus said about who he was. Jesus made a lot of claims. There's, how many of you guys are familiar with an author named C.S. Lewis? Yeah, he's, he's pretty famous. Did you know he didn't start out as a Christian? He started out as an atheist. It wasn't until, I think, as early as mid-30s that he converted to Christianity. And part of how he converted to Christianity had to go back, had to do with going back and looking at what Jesus said. He wrote a book that's really famous called Mere Christianity. And I got a quote from him that I want to read you. I think I've actually put it in your notes. C.S. said this. He says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must take your choice. Either this was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. That's kind of challenging, isn't it? Now, I think CS got it down to two choices, but I think if we're going to be really fair, you know, I used to be a police officer, so I had to try to explore all the options and narrow them down. So I think that there are actually four options. CS got it down to two, lunatic or Lord. But if we're going to be fair, I think there are four possibilities. Jesus could just be a legend. Uh, there's a slide for this, guys. There's some slide magic that's happening, so I want to make sure that they see it. You, you hit the button and it... <laughs> hit it again. Bingo! See that? I told you. One of the options is that he's just a legend. Another option is that he is a liar. A third option, lunatic. And fourth, he's actually Lord. Let's examine these real quickly. A legend is somebody like Paul Bunyan that did not exist, 
He's not a real guy. He's just a made up kind of a thing. We have more evidence that Jesus existed than most, if not all, other historical figures. There is no uh, reputable historian that thinks that he didn't live. So I think we can cross that one off the list. I think C.S. did the same thing. What about a liar? Jesus said all kinds of things. He could have been a liar. I've met people who claim to be the son of God. Have you? I had one man defend himself to me that he had saved himself. He didn't need Jesus. I don't know. Either that guy knew that he was lying or he was just crazy. And I think those are our two options with Jesus. Jesus could have been a liar, but that doesn't really make sense because, as again, as an officer, whenever I brought liars in and confronted them with the truth and the penalty of going to jail and what happened to my sound? Am I dead? My sound went out. Let's see. Wow. I just put fresh batteries in there. Okay, if someone wants to run and put new batteries in this for me, that'll be great. And I'll just speak really loud. And I've got a... They are back here. You'll see them on a charger in the back room there. Thank you. I was cooking. Where was I at? What was I saying last? Yeah, okay. So, I mean, there were times whenever I would interview people and I would confront them with truth and tell them, listen, you know... Jude, it's jail. And they would say, yeah, you're right. And they would give it up and they would start saying, okay. And then they would start telling the truth about stuff. Liars will often do that whenever they're put in a corner, they'll tell the truth. Jesus, if he was just a liar, could have spared himself so much misery and a horrible crucifixion by just telling the truth and admitting. Just caving a little bit would have got him off the hook. He didn't do that. So I think we can cross off liar. That still doesn't mean that he is who he says he was or that his claims are true. It just means that if he really believed it and it wasn't true, he was a lunatic. Being a lunatic. Remind me, I'm going into lunatic. There we go. We don't use the name lunatic or the word lunatic a whole lot these days. What we're talking about is having a mental illness. If Jesus' claims are not true, then it would best, it would be best to describe him, he could best be explained as having evidence of mental illness based on the things that he said. That's what C.S. was saying in his, in that opening little quote that I gave you. What Jesus said about himself and the things that he taught were so radical that if he truly believed it and it wasn't true, then he must have had a mental illness. He must have been a lunatic. But if the things that he said were true, that leaves us with the last option, and that's Lord. On your notes, I hope that you feel confident enough to cross out legend and liar. But I hope that you'll hang on for a second before you cross off any more and look at some of the evidence from Scripture to decide whether or not Jesus was a lunatic with a mental illness or if he actually is Lord. Because that word Lord, we don't use that word a lot, do we? The Greek word that they used is a Greek word, kurios. Kurios. It means the one who is in supreme authority. Probably the closest that we use the word Lord in our society is kind of like landlord. Now, if you're a landlord, that doesn't mean you're in supreme authority everywhere. But whenever it comes to your property, Dan, you've got some property that you're a landlord. Are you the supreme authority? 
Most <laughs> Bob, are you the supreme authority with your stuff? Most of the time. Yeah. Okay. Well, you get the idea. If if you're a landlord, then you've got the authority over your stuff. If Jesus is Lord, then he is in supreme authority over all of God's creation. So what we're going to look at very briefly in the time we've got together this morning is whether or not he's a lunatic or he's really Lord. I'm going to not spend as much time as we could on this. But I'm just going to take you through a couple of passages this morning that might give us a good direction to go for further study or maybe even get you where you need to be this morning. We're going to look at some of the claims that Jesus made. And I want to show you first Luke chapter 5, verses 20 through 26. Now, let me set this up for you. Jesus was out preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, and he was healing people. He came to this one town. And this house that he was preaching in was so packed with people and people were being healed that nobody else could get in. And there were some guys in that area that had a friend who was paralyzed. He couldn't make his way in through the crowd. In fact, he couldn't even walk. He was paralyzed, so he was on a mat. And these guys decided, you know what we're going to do? To get him in front of this teacher who's healing people, we're going to go up on the roof. We're going to knock off a couple of tiles. We'll just lower him down right in the middle of the roof. And that's what they did. You may be familiar with the story. So it picks up here and it says that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say. To say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them and took what had what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We've seen remarkable things today. That's an impressive story, but I want to call attention to just three claims that Jesus makes in this story. The first one is he claimed that he could forgive sins. And everybody there knew that that was claiming to be God. Jesus was claiming to be God when he claimed to be able to forgive sins. That's the kind of claim that is only made by a lunatic or by the real deal. Second claim is he claimed that he is the son of man. Of all the things that Jesus is called in scripture, the thing that he calls himself most often is son of man. And there's a whole lot we can say about that, and we're not going to say it today. I'm going to take you back where it comes from, though. It's in Daniel chapter seven, verses 13 through 14. See, Daniel was a prophet, and he was looking forward to the things that God was going to do. And he says that, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. Catch this, verse 14, he says, And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This son of man character from prophecy is more than just a mere man. He is a man, but he's an elevated man. He's a man with authority. He's somebody that the entire Jewish nation was looking forward to. He was the king of a kingdom, God's kingdom, that was going to come. And Jesus calls himself son of man. This is only a claim that is made by a lunatic, possibly with a mental illness, or by the genuine article, by someone who's Lord. The third thing that Jesus claimed in this passage is that his miracles proved that what he was saying about himself was true. Look back up in the text when he says in verse 24, he says, I want you to know that the son of man has authority to forgive sins. Just before they said, which is it easier to do to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk somebody who hasn't been able to walk in who knows how long, maybe in his whole life. In reality, it would be much harder to be able to say your sins are forgiven because that's reserved for God alone. But to actually utter the words is no big deal. And the skeptic would be left with all kinds of suspicion. Yeah, he said I was forgiven of my sins, but how do I know? The guy could be stark raving mad. Saying to a paralyzed man, get up and walk is equally easy to say, but the skeptic is left without too much to say when the man gets up and walks. And that's what happened. And everybody knew there was something different about this guy. And Jesus said that you could know that his claims were true based on what he did. This wasn't the only time that Jesus pointed out that his works were proof that his claims were true. If you look over in John chapter 10, now the verses I've got in your notes I actually thought yesterday morning that I wanted to set that up by looking just a little bit further up in chapter 10, verses 19 through 21. So if you've got a Bible and you want to flip there, you can see what I'm talking about because the context is important. In John chapter 10, verses 19 through 21, it says, There was again a division among the Jews because of these words, the words that Jesus was speaking. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? They were thinking he was a lunatic. You catch that? Why listen to him? He's insane. He's lost his mind. Verse 21. Others said, these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So even as we're getting ready to look at this next verse in chapter 10 of John, you see the stage is already set that they're at the same place that many of us in today's world are. When we look at Jesus' claims, we're either looking at him as a lunatic who's possibly insane or that he is actually who he claims he is, which means that he's Lord. And the difference in someone who's a lunatic and someone who's actually Lord is the power to do some things, to back up his claims. So skip on down now in chapter 10 to verse 36 through 38. He says, why do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am the son of God? Jesus claimed to not only be the son of man, but he claimed to be the son of God. And his critics said he was blaspheming. Verse 37 says, don't believe me unless I do the works of my father. Don't believe me unless I do the works of my father. You might want to circle of my father. 
Because Jesus did a specific kind of miracle. He did a specific kind of work. He did the kind of work that God wanted done. Why is the kingdom of God invading this earth? Why was it even necessary for the kingdom of God to come here? To fix what was broken. To set what was wrong back right. And whenever Jesus was healing people, what was he doing? He was fixing what was broken. He was calling people back to a relationship with God. He was doing the works of his father. Verse 38, he says, but if I do them, the works of my father, even though you won't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. Jesus was calling attention. Yes, he made some incredible claims. Madman kind of claims if it's not true. But he said, even though what I'm saying is that crazy sounding, look at what I do and see if it doesn't ring true. Because I couldn't do this if I wasn't doing God's work, if he wasn't in me and I wasn't in him. Just like the people earlier in that church, in that chapter, like I told you, they said, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Here's the one thing they knew about demons in the day. Demons don't help people. Demons don't help people. And Jesus was constantly helping people. He was doing the works of his father. Matthew 12, I want to show you this one too. Verse 38 through 40. It says, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Jesus is telling them that his signs Prove that he's got authority to say what he's, what he's saying, to make the claims that he's making. But go back and look at this one in context and you're going to find out that just before the scribes and the Pharisees demand another sign from Jesus, they had just witnessed him perform a miracle by healing a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't talk. They had just seen that. And the scribes and Pharisees chose to give credit to Beelzebub. The ruler of the demons, you'll find that in Matthew 12, verse 24, rather than accept Jesus's claims. You got a group of people who are seeing miracles or seeing Jesus back up his claims with real power. Doing God's work and rather than accepting Jesus's claims. They attribute the work to demons. They made a choice to do that. Why would they do that? Maybe because the Pharisees and scribes were threatened by Jesus. They had a position. They had, they had some place that they were feeling good about themselves and they did not want him messing that up. I'm afraid that that's still why some people today refuse to accept what Jesus says about himself because it challenges and threatens the position that they're in. They went on to claim that He's doing what he's doing by the power of Beelzebub. Well, we've already established established demons don't help people. And that's where Jesus says, that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You can be forgiven of saying bad things about me, but when you go to saying that God setting things back right through his spirit is done by evil, 
not by him, you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. You've got some real problems. Clearly, these people did not want to believe Jesus. So I've got to ask you a question. Why did they demand more signs? If they clearly did not want to believe Jesus, that he was Lord, that he was both son of God and son of man, why did they ask for another miracle? They'd just seen a couple. Why are they asking for more? I don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us. We can only guess. It could be that they just wanted to hopefully get him to do something that they could criticize him for. Do something that they could say, ha, he broke a rule. It seems like Jesus did a lot of his miracles on the Sabbath. That tweaked off a lot of the rule keepers. Weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. Maybe they were looking to catch him in something so they could find another way to deny his claims that he's Lord. Or maybe it was, just like people do today, they were saying, Jesus, if you're really God, do fill in the blank for me. You get that? Rather than accepting the evidence that was put in front of them, they wanted God to do something for them. And then they say they'll believe. And how does Jesus respond to them? He says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. There is something evil and adulterous about throwing it out to God. If you'll do this for me, then I'll believe you. Did you catch that? Jesus has already done enough to prove his claims. But he said, you know what? I will give you one more sign. And it's going to be the sign of all signs. It's going to be the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You know what he's talking about, don't you? I bet the guys, the scribes and the Pharisees were wondering, what in the world is he talking about? Three days and three nights in the belly of the earth like Jonah. So let's go over to John chapter 2, verse 18 through 22, because Jesus says something similar there. Now, the context of this particular passage is Jesus had just gone into the temple and thrown out the money changers. This was not a subtle moment for Jesus. This was not a moment that, that people missed. He got a lot of people's attention whenever he did this. He was messing with the establishment in a big way here. And the Jews responded to him, And said, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. By the way, they weren't finished at this point. They weren't finished building Herod's temple at this point. It had only been 46 years to date. They finished the temple in 65 A.D., It only stood and completed for five years before God used the Romans to knock it down. They were very proud of their temple. It was amazing. It was full of splendor. And they were so proud of it. They thought of Jerusalem as the belly button of the world. In fact, all the old maps had Jerusalem at the center and everything else revolving around it. And they thought, listen, we've got this wonderful, magnificent temple. And Jesus is saying, yeah, all the labor you put into that, knock it down three days later. I'll, pull, I'll build it back again. Or at least that's not what they thought he said. 
But he had actually spoken of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. They believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. As audacious as the claim is to take a temple that has taken 46 years to build to this point, that he would actually put it back together in three days, that is an audacious claim. But raising from the dead after being dead for three days is even more audacious. The one thing that everybody knew about death is it was a one-way road. Nobody comes back. Nobody comes back, especially after three days. I've been around three-day-old dead bodies. They stink. And I'm not talking about stink from me to you. I'm talking about stinking from the time I got out of my squad car and walking up to the house. Three days is a long time to be dead. What Jesus was claiming that he would do was audacious. Probably the most ridiculous claim that he made. And yet he did it. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if a guy claimed that he was going to be killed, that he would be dead for three days and then he would rise again and he did it. I would tend to believe that this one is credible to believe anything else he says. What about you? Jesus's resurrection is the best reason to believe him. It's the best reason to believe him. In fact, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Christianity holds together based on whether or not the resurrection really happened. Jesus's claims, the decision between whether or not he's a mentally ill lunatic or he's actually Lord, I think comes down as much as anything, maybe more than anything, to the resurrection. How do we know that the resurrection actually happened? Well, there in 1 Corinthians 15, just before Paul said this, he gives a list of people that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Listen, friends, if you tell people, listen, there was this thing happened and there were 500 witnesses and most of them are still right here to check it out. And it's something as incredibly audacious as a risen savior, as a man who was killed by the Romans, who are really good at killing people, has been dead for three days. And now he is bodily back to life. And you've got 500 people who are willing to say, yes, I saw him. I talked with him. I touched him. I ate with him. And you can go check out those 500. That's a pretty good claim. Eyewitness testimony is still the gold standard in most courts of law around the world. There were over 500 that witnessed this. Could it have been a delusion? Delusions don't work that way. One person has a delusion, but it's rare that 500 people would have the exact same delusion. 500 people. And then he says, then he appeared to James. The James he's talking about is his brother James, who had rejected Jesus as a lunatic. James refused to believe that his older brother Jesus was actually Lord, both son of God and son of man, until after the resurrection. Because he appeared to him. 
he saw him risen from the dead. He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. In fact, to be an apostle of Jesus, the qualification was, one of the qualifications was, you had to have been a witness of his resurrection. Why is it so important that they were witnesses of his resurrection? Because that's hard to deny. The choice has always been, is he a lunatic or is he Lord? And the resurrection settles it. And last of all, to me, as one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Jesus didn't come back from the dead and meet one or two people. He didn't just show up at solo events. He was around for a while. A lot of people saw him. So how do we know that that's not just Paul making it up, that all that's a lie? Well, the, the internal evidence sort of speaks for itself. If I wrote something about Donald Trump and what he did in high school, and I listed 500 character witnesses who claim to have all seen the same thing, those 500 people can be interviewed. And if it was true, then it would stand up. And if it wasn't true, then it would be denounced as, as a lie. At least we would hope, right? That was what, the, when this was written, people could check out Paul's story. And it stood. So internally, there's some evidence this is true. Even though there are still some skeptics today, but there's an argument that's known as the minimal facts argument. Have you guys heard of it? Even skeptics acknowledge these six truths, these six points. Now, what they decide these mean are, you know, anybody's guess. But here are the six things that even the skeptics can't deny. Number one, Jesus died by crucifixion. Not only is Jesus not a legend, we know that he lived, we also know that he was killed by crucifixion. We know, number two, that his followers had real experiences that they thought were appearances of the risen Jesus. They thought, his followers thought they really saw him. Those 500 and those 12 apostles and Paul, last of all, had some sort of an experience where they claimed that they had seen the risen Jesus. Number three, their lives were, re, were transformed as a result of that experience. Even to the point of being willing to suffer and die for testifying to Jesus' resurrection. If you're a liar, you'll fold before you'll be treated like these apostles were. They knew that this was true. They believed this was true, and that's why they were so transformed. Number five, Jesus' brother, like we just already talked about, was an unbeliever, did not believe Jesus' claims until he had an experience with the risen Jesus, until Jesus appeared to him, and then he became a believer and a follower of Jesus. That's pretty powerful. Pretty powerful evidence. Number six, Paul, who persecuted Jesus, because he thought he was a lunatic and a liar and dangerous to the nation of Israel, became a Christian after he experienced the resurrection, after he experienced the resurrected Jesus, or at least claimed that he did. Even the harshest skeptics of Christianity who want to believe and tell you that Jesus was a mentally ill lunatic cannot deny these six facts. And they all stand as evidence pointing towards Jesus not being a lunatic, but being Lord. Okay, so where are we at today? I'm assuming because you're here this morning that most of us are here because we've said that Jesus is Lord. 
So why am I banging on this drum so hard? I'm I'm preaching to the choir, right? We believe that Jesus is Lord. We call him Lord. So if you're there, you got four boxes and two of them, hopefully you've already crossed out legend and liar. If you think that this evidence is convincing enough that he's Lord, then you should go over there and cross out lunatic. If you're not ready to put your foot down yet, okay, do your investigation because this Jesus will not allow you to stay undecided. He will not allow you to stay undecided. You can't go on vacillating. You will have to make a choice between these two. So go ahead and do your research and think this out. But most of us here this morning are willing to check out lunatic and claim that he's Lord. But to you guys, I want you to know that there's more to actually believing Jesus than just calling him Lord. Here's another claim that Jesus made, a statement. It's in Luke 6:46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I got a video I want to show you that I think maybe will help us capture the flow here. Laura. Hey, Lord. So how did it go with Kat? Did you talk to her? Oh, well, Lord, not exactly. <laughs> did you forgive her? Well, Lord, I mean, I was just thinking, like, why should I forgive her? <laughs> because I asked you to. Well, yeah, I know you did, Lord, but why? Well, you shouldn't have to know why, just that I asked you to do it. Well, that doesn't make any sense, Lord. I mean, you don't understand the situation. Kathleen has an attitude problem. Laura, you believe that I know what is best for you and for Kat? Well, yeah, Lord. Then you'll do this. But, Lord... This is no different than when I've asked you to do anything else. Yes, this is, Lord. This is way different. When I asked you to quit your job, you quit. Well, of course, Lord, but I didn't like my job, so I was happy to leave, you know? I mean, this is way different. Okay, Lord, you know what? I've got an idea. How about we give it a week and I'll pray about it? Uh, I'll give you my answer now. Uh, but, Lord... Look, Kat's coming by here very soon. She's coming okay? by here? Well, yes. let's go. Now's your no, chance to talk to no, her. I want you to forgive Lord, her. Lord, you don't understand it. Hey, Laura, hi. It's been hi. like two wow. weeks since we've had coffee. Yeah. Oh, it has. We should totally get together this week. Oh, wow, I can't do that. I am so busy. Oh. Yeah. Well, how about next week? Well, you know, actually, I don't think it's going to happen for a while. Oh. Well, is everything okay? Oh, yeah, everything's great. Uh-huh. All right. Um, I guess I'll just um, see you later then. Bye. Lord, did you hear that attitude? I thought you were going to forgive her. I thought you said we could wait a week, Lord. No, you said that. Oh, okay, Lord, you're being unreasonable, okay? Why don't you just go talk to Kathleen and have her come to me and ask for my forgiveness? Laura, you need to obey. I want you to forgive Kat. But Lord... Why do you keep calling me Lord? You won't even do what I ask. When I saw this video, I had that ouch moment. Because there's a lot of us sitting in this room that are happy to knock off three of those boxes and say that Jesus is Lord. But when it comes to your time, when it comes to your money, when it comes to who you will be friends with, who you will talk to about him. You say, but Lord, you don't understand. You've got all kinds of excuses as to why you don't need to actually do what he says to do. I know this because I talk with you. I know this because I hear other people talk about you. And I know that there are lines that are being drawn in this congregation. Look around. 
Look around real quick. Not at me. Look at your seats next to you. I remember a day whenever these seats were full. Where are they? Where are the people that used to be here? How many of them that used to be here left because no one would love them the way that Jesus told them to be loved? How many people have left this congregation because they don't get a taste of the age to come in this congregation? Instead, they get a bunch of people saying, yes, Lord, 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 you don't understand. And if we claim to be Christians, if we claim that Jesus is Lord, how can we possibly go on calling him Lord and refusing to do the simple things that he's already told us to do? I know we are all at different places in our walk with Jesus. We're all in different places in how much we understand. I get it. But let me just ask you, what you know he's told you to do, are you doing it? Forget about the stuff you don't know, the stuff that you're not clear on, the stuff that you haven't heard yet about Christianity. Forget that for a second. The stuff that you know you're supposed to do, are you doing it? Or are you calling him Lord, Lord, and going on about your merry way? I have to deal with this question, too, because I believe Jesus is my Lord. And there's a difference between weakness and failure and the attempt to obey him and the wanton disregard for his lordship. And if we're going to we're inviting the whole world to our campus this coming Sunday. We're telling them that we're going to not just have them have a good time for their kids and have a good time. We're inviting them to see the risen Jesus who really is Lord and not just some insane lunatic because he lives in us and changes the way we live. Or does he? Or does he change the way we live? There's another quote I wanted to end the lesson with from a guy named Brendan Manning. And he says this, he says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. It's how we act when we're together. It's how we act whenever we're alone. Are we going to fall into that? Because you might as well have scratched out Lord and just circled lunatic as your choice. Because if you're going to call him Lord... And then not obey him? The world is going to have more reason to doubt that he's Lord than reasons to believe that he is Lord. How many of you have been turned off by people who said, Lord, Lord, and live like lunatic, lunatic? Are these empty seats a result of us doing that? I know there are people in this congregation that have got problems with other people in this congregation and they will not talk to them. They will not talk to them. They will not deal with it. I know people that are so ate up by their pride, they will not bow their knee. Why does our congregation swell after the Lord's Supper? When we're commanded by our Lord to do this in remembrance of Him. Have you noticed? I stand up front a lot. I notice when, I feel like I'm getting a little too firm here for a Sunday morning, but it's on my heart, man. 
I, thank you. <laughs> I stand up here and I look at this congregation and I watch you come in to celebrate a risen Lord as though your dog just died. I, walk you, I watch you walk past people and ignore them. I watch you sit by yourselves in seats at the back of the auditorium. I watch you walk around the people you don't like. I watch you come in late and leave early. As though you're going to get credit with God for having checked the mark that you showed up today. Show me the verse where Jesus commanded you just to show up. Show me that verse and I'll back off. But if we're going to call him Lord, we're going to call ourselves Christians, then maybe we ought to take it seriously about actually doing what he said. I'm not the one grading papers at the end of this. I'm not the one that gets to pass judgment on you guys and figure out which one of you guys is pleasing the Lord or not. I'm not capable. I got my own problems. I got my own paper that's going to get graded. But there are grades coming. Do not fool yourselves into the lie that you're going to get by with disobeying and disregarding Jesus' commands. You can't do that. Man, I hope that if you believe he's Lord, will you just do what you know to do? And when we invite people to come to our worship services, they'll see something different they can't see just anywhere. And when they come for our party next Sunday night, there will be an aroma. Not just of good food from the food trucks, but there will be an aroma of Christ. An aroma of love and family. And just a taste, a glimpse of the age that's coming. That's all I've got for you this morning. I'm going to pray and we'll call it a morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. And Father, uh, I'm sorry for the times that I've, that I've treated you like you're not really Lord. Sometimes I get prideful. Sometimes I get stubborn get distracted. Father, I also want to apologize for the rest of us because I think we're all infected with the same disease. We're so easy to distract. We're so easy to forget about your mission and to get totally involved in our own. Father, I'm grateful for your patience with us. And I ask that you not give up on us. Father, I pray that you'll help us, each one of us, just to take the step if we believe that you're Lord. And I'm convinced. I'm sitting in a room full of brothers and sisters who do believe that, just like I do. But Father, I pray that you'll call us back by your mercy to taking you more serious and to dealing with whatever it is that we're not wanting to deal with. Father, give us your power and your strength and your reassurance and your hope that we can live worthy of your calling, worthy of your kingdom. And help us to show the world that you're real, that Jesus is really Lord and not a lunatic, not just through slick arguments, but through a lifestyle. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.